Good morning, Zoe Church. What's up? I get the honor and privilege of being with you this morning and really excited about the message that God has put on my heart. But before we get into today's message, I just got a question. Are there any Minnesota sports fans out there? Anybody big uh, Vikings fans or Twins fans? Maybe you're a Minnesota Wild fan or Timberwolves. Sorry if I forgot to mention a team of yours. One of the things I love to do when I travel and speak across America is I love having the audience uh, as an icebreaker because they don't know me, I don't know them, and so I got to find a way to break the ice. But one of the things I love to do to break the ice with the audience is uh, I love having them put their hands out to the side like this, and then I tell the audience, on the count of three, I want you to clap above your head. So they all do it with me. So it's one, two, three, boom, they clap. One, two, three, they clap. One, two, three, they clap. And on the third clap, I always put up a picture of the Minnesota Vikings bar sacking Aaron Rodgers. And uh, I get the whole audience to become Vikings fans that day. And I get stones thrown at me, and people hate me, and they think I'm a delusional Vikings fan. But guys, I'm a full-blown Vikings fan, full-blown Minnesota sports fan. I love Minnesota sports. True story. I actually did that at a church in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and uh, literally got the whole audience to be a Vikings fan. And I literally thought I was going to die that morning. I thought my life was dead. Like, see you, Steph. Uh, Great to know you. Love you, but I know it's fun. But the thing about being a Vikings fan, it is it emotional? It is, it is emotional to be a sports fan. In fact, I oftentimes have Green Bay Packer fans remind me of how many Super Bowls the Vikings have won. And I know all the jokes. I know all the fun stories about the Vikings having zero. But it is really, truly an emotional experience to be a Vikings fan. I mean, I think of the 1998 Missed field goal by Gary Anderson against the Atlanta Falcons. All we had to do was make the field goal, and we're on to the Super Bowl. Or how about Brett Favre as the Vikings quarterback playing against the Saints, and he throws the ball against his body, and it's intercepted, right? It's, it's emotional being a Vikings fan. Or how about this one, the, the year where the Super Bowl was going to be played at U.S. Bank Stadium, and uh, we play against the New Orleans Saints. We're up big. Our whole fan base is doing the skull clap to tick off the Saints fans in his fourth quarter. We start playing prevent defense, and then you see Drew Brees lead a comeback to take the lead with seconds remaining, and the head coach of the New Orleans Saints had the audacity to literally do the skull clap to mock our fan base. And if you're like me and you watch the game, you probably said something like this. Well, I've seen this before. Well. Might as well turn off the TV, not much time left, got to go 60-some yards for a touchdown. I've seen this before. And uh, sure enough, third down and 10, certain amount of seconds remaining to go. Case Keenum, our quarterback, drops back to pass, throws towards the sideline. Stephon Diggs catches the ball, runs into the end zone for the Minneapolis miracle. I was going nuts. I was jumping up and down. It was emotional. And I had the audacity to pull up my phone and look in the camera and say, we're going to the Super Bowl. We're going to the Super Bowl. And I was filming everyone jumping up in the room because I thought that if a Minneapolis miracle took place, like we were destined to go to the Super Bowl in our home stadium at U.S. Bank Stadium. And I thought all we have to do is beat Nick Foles, the backup quarterback to the Eagles. And then you know what happens. We end up getting blown out in Philadelphia. It is emotional being a Vikings fan, but you know, sometimes they replay that game, that Saints-Vikings game, sometimes they replay it, and oftentimes I'll sit and watch it because it feels good to watch the Minneapolis Miracle again. It, it's fun to reenact that moment, but no, it's different. 
is every time I watch it a second time or anytime I watch it a third time or a fourth time, it's always different than when it was the first time. And the reason why it's different is because I know the ending. I know the outcome of the game. I know what's going to happen. And what I find to be true of us is so many of us live our lives as though we actually don't know the outcome or the ending. But in reality, for anybody who follows Jesus, you actually know the outcome and you actually know the ending. It's one of two possibilities. It's either you spend eternity forever with Christ or we know the ending right here in the story and it's that Christ comes back a second time. Yet it's so easy in our society where we live to forget that, to forget that we actually do know the ending and the ending is filled with so much hope. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about the second coming of Christ. In scripture, there are 300 Bible verses talking about the coming of Jesus. We find 100 scriptures talking about the first coming of Jesus and we see 200 Bible verses talking about the second coming of Jesus. If Jesus came a first time and 100 verses prophesied about him coming and literally seeing him come, we can be sure that the 200 verses remain about the second Christ coming, that he will come again. And there's a question we need to be able to answer for when he comes back a second time. But before I get into that question, I just want to show you some statistics that prove that the return of Christ is more near than it is far. Uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 gives the longest recorded answer he ever gives to any question in Matthew 24 or Matthew 25. It talks about the second coming of Christ and what it will be like when he comes back in all of his glory a second time. Jesus gives a list of signs in Matthew 24 and I'll run through them really quickly. But in Matthew 24, he gives a list of signs of what it will be like and when he comes back. In fact, he relates it to his coming to a woman being in labor. And anybody who's experienced labor, you know that the closer the baby is to coming, you know that the more painful it gets as the baby gets near to coming. Jesus equates it to a woman in labor because uh, these events, they won't be decreasing, they'll actually be increasing. The number one in Matthew 24, verse five, is you see false world religions will increase. It's people saying, hey, I'm God. Hey, no, this way. No, hey, believe this way. The second sign you see in Matthew 24, verse six, are wars. Jesus talks about wars increasing. Uh, prior to the time of Christ, there were 70 wars. Um, following the time of Christ for the next thousand years, there were 50 wars. In the next 500 years after that, there were 100 wars. In the next 300 years after that, there were 250 wars. And in the last 200 years alone, there have been over 500 wars. Uh, Jesus said these signs would happen and that they would increase. We're only seeing an increase of the wars, not less. Number three, famines. Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 7, talks about famines that will hit. One of the concerns right now is that we might outgrow by um, 2050 with the ability to produce food for about 10 billion people. There's talks of this. There's talks about the effects of climate change, um, talks about the effects of, uh, of how things are changing biologically in the plant world, and scientists literally are beginning to question. Number four, pestilences or fearful events, epidemics, pandemics. Uh, ReachMD says that epidemiologists and healthcare professionals believe it's a case of when, not if the infectious disease hits our world, killing millions of people. That as we go through time, we're going to see more and more of that. And all of science and all of technology 
are admitting that they cannot stop it from happening. Imagine a worldwide pandemic that literally kills millions of people. This is all pointing to the return of Christ. The world is not going to get better and better, and we will not manage our way scientifically or technologically out of it. Jesus said this would happen. Earthquakes, number five in Matthew 24, verse seven, there's currently 500,000 earthquakes that happen every year. It's just that you and I don't feel them. Number six, Jesus talks about the persecution of Christians. In Matthew 24, verse nine, you see this uh, growing of persecutions, and this is crazy. Do you realize there are more people persecuted for their faith in Jesus than ever before? Do you realize that in the last century, more people were martyred in their faith than all the previous centuries combined. More Christians killed for their faith just in the last 100 years than all the previous years combined. Right now, people are dying for their faith. In fact, one out of three people in Asia experienced high levels of persecution. India just recently entered the top 10 for the first time. Open Door estimates that 245 million Christians were killed this last year up by 30 million people from the previous year before. Jesus said that these signs, they'd be increasing, not decreasing. Matthew 24, verse 10, Jesus says that the love of many will grow cold, that there will be a falling away of the faith, that people will stop believing in Jesus as Messiah, that many will grow cold and fall away. And the last sign that he gives is he says that the gospel will be preached to the world. Every tribe, every tongue being able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then, then the end will come is what Jesus says. Uh, the Washington um, Bible Museum in Washington, D.C., the vice president of the museum said that by the year 2030, every known language to men, every tribe, every tongue will have the gospel message fully translated in their language. Guys, Jesus is going to come back a second time and he's going to come soon. But the deal is this, is there's a question he's gonna ask when he comes back a second time. And this isn't a question I made up. This is a question Jesus illustrates and actually asks because in Luke chapter 17, you see Jesus talking about the second coming in the end times. And Jesus gives a story to illustrate what he's trying to say. But Jesus, before he gives the story, he gives instruction for what he wants to see for his followers in the last days. In verse uh, 1 of Luke chapter 18, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples a story to show them that they should do two things. If you're taking notes, your first one is this. A call to pray. A call to pray. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a story of what it's going to be like, but what I want in your life is I want you to have a call to pray. It's interesting to me that as Jesus explains the end times, what he wants to see in his followers is he wants to see them filled with the life of prayer, a call to pray. You know, isn't it interesting that Jesus himself would often withdraw to lonely places, that Jesus himself was the one who modeled a lifestyle of prayer. You know, I think it's interesting that the disciples and the question they asked of Jesus, wasn't, it wasn't how to preach better sermons. It wasn't how to um, um, cast out more demons. It wasn't how to heal people. What they asked of Jesus is they said, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And could it be that the reason why they asked Jesus how to pray and teach him how to pray was that 
Could it be that the thing they found Jesus doing the most wasn't the ministry, it wasn't the doing and the healing and the teaching and the preaching and the casting out of demons and seeing blind eyes open, but could it be that the thing they found Jesus do most was when they woke up in the morning and they'd look for Jesus and they'd go, hey, where, where, where'd Jesus go? Well, hey, Peter, why don't you go that way? James, why don't you go that way? And let's go look for him. And then they find him alone, praying and connecting with the Father. Jesus modeled the life of prayer. And because Jesus is our high priest, because Jesus is our example, how much more should we pray and call to pray and follow Christ? Where is your place that you pray? Where is the place that you go and connect with God? Where is the place where you go and cry out to him? For anybody watching and you're wondering, well, I don't know how to pray. The disciples didn't either. You're in good company. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been out to coffee with a friend or ever gone out to a meal or dinner, ever watched a game with a friend and your heart's just beating, your heart's bursting and you just have to get something off your chest so you're at coffee and you just start talking to your friend and you say, man, I gotta let you know what's going on in my life. Just recently I lost my job. Just recently my daughter went to the hospital sick. Just recently my grandpa was diagnosed with cancer. And it's like you just begin to offload everything on your mind and offload everything on your heart to your friend. And your friend's sitting there listening to you, just admiring what you're saying and comforting you and just adequately listening to you. And you feel heard when you're explaining to your friend all the things going on in your life. I just want to encourage you real quick. Prayer is no different with Jesus. Jesus is your friend at the other side of the table and you come and unload your heart. What Jesus really wants is he wants your honesty. He wants your honest confession. He wants to hear you speak to him. He wants to hear you talk with him. Prayer is a conversation. It's not a monologue. It's a dialogue of connecting with God and God knowing your heart. Yes, he fully knows it, but giving an opportunity for you to share it with God. You know, one of the things of being a father myself, one of the things that's so rewarding is when my daughter just wants to come talk to me. She just wants to share her heart with me and I can listen to her cute little voice, share about her day and share about the things going on in her life. And it doesn't have to be big, but just hearing my daughter's voice does something inside of me of a father. How much more does God feel when he sees his creation wanting to take time to connect with him? If Jesus needed to abide and remain with the Father and communicate and share, how much more do you and I need that in our life? You know, I was preaching at a camp not long ago, and there was a girl at the camp, a young teenage girl who was there, and as I was preaching and gave an opportunity to follow Jesus and give her life to Christ, I saw this girl get up and run forward to give her life to Jesus. And as she surrendered her life to Jesus, I found out later that she went to her youth leader and said, hey, you need to come to my house. We got to go to my house right now. And the youth leader said, hey, you know, this is the first night at camp. We just, we just got here. We can't leave. She said, why do we need to go to your house? She said, it's because I've written out a suicide note that I left for my mom. And it's in the drawer, in the front part of my drawer. We got to go to my house. We got to get this note. We got to burn it up. She said, well, why? What's going on? She said, because tonight Jesus found me and I no longer need this suicide note, but Jesus found me and I need to burn it up. You see, this girl came to camp with a plan to commit suicide and end her life. And the thought would be that her mom would eventually rummage through her drawers and find a note that said her goodbye to her mom. But 
God had a different plan for this girl's life who ended up finding her. She ended up surrendering her life to Jesus. But here was what was really cool. This girl literally exchanged suicide for a prayer room. You see, a couple weeks after camp, one of the things that I challenge students to do is God is not just a camp God. He's not just a Sunday morning church God. God is an everyday God in your life. He goes with you wherever you go. He lives inside of you. And so one of the things I challenge kids to do is to start a prayer room in their house. I challenge every person to start a prayer room. Find a place every day that you can go and connect with God, but don't go alone. Bring a list of friends to pray over. Bring a, your Bible, bring your journal. And this youth pastor's wife texted me a couple weeks after the camp. She said, Micah, this girl's life has been radically transformed. Here is her picture of her room where she's converted her bedroom into a prayer room. She has Bible verses on the wall that she's praying. This girl literally exchanged death for the life that Christ promises. And Christ in Luke chapter 18 talks about two things I want you to do in your life. Number one, I want to teach you how to pray. Christ wants you to know how to pray, to connect with him, to abide with him. There is a call to prayer on your life. And the second thing Jesus says is not only does he say, I'm going to teach you how to pray, but number two, a call to never give up. A call to never give up. You see Jesus say a call to prayer, and number two, a call to never give up. This thought of persistence, this thought of grit, and it's so easy in this life, in the world that we live in, it's so easy to get caught up with the customs and behaviors of this world. It's so easy to lose ourselves with the anxiousness of society. It's so easy to lose ourselves in the economy, in the stock market, and retirement accounts, and our kids and things that are happening with homeschooling, having to stay home now, or hybrid learning, or coronavirus. There's so many things to get caught up in. And the reality is, is if our eyes don't stay locked on Jesus, and if we don't find ourselves praying and crying out to God day and night, maybe, just maybe, we might be tempted to give up and quit. It's possible that there's people tuning in today that feel like quitting, quitting on God, quitting on church, quitting on relationships and friends, quitting on family, quitting on your marriage, quitting with your kids. You just feel like giving up. I came to tell someone today, don't grow weary in doing the right thing. For in due season, you will see God's harvest. You will see God's faithfulness. So many of us quit before we see the miracle. So many of us quit before we see God's faithfulness show up in our life. And some of you might be watching today saying, yeah, Mike, I've tried this prayer thing. Yeah, Mike, I've tried this whole praying to God thing. But actually, when I've prayed, I actually didn't see what I prayed for. Yeah, Mike, I know what it means to maybe pray and not give up. But what happens when you pray for something and yet you don't see the outcome that you thought you'd see? It reminds me of a story of a man who asked me to pray for him who had pancreatic cancer. This was a man who was our, in our life for about 30 years, and this was a big deal for him to ask for prayer because he really wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He didn't like Jesus, didn't like talking about Jesus, nothing to do with church or anything like that. But when cancer hit his body, it was weird how this shift began to take place, and he asked for prayer. And I looked at him, I said, hey, thank you for asking for prayer. I just want you to know I'm going to pray for you every day. I'm not going to give up, but I'm going to pray and believe that God's going to heal your body. 
Well, every day I would pray for my friend that he'd be healed of his cancer. I've seen God heal people of cancer before. I've witnessed miracles before. So I'm full of faith that God's going to show up. And my belief is that if God heals him, that God is obviously going to heal him, but then he'll want to follow Christ because of the demonstration of Christ's power in his life. This is what I feel. So I'm praying every day, and then I get a call from him saying, Mike, it's getting worse. It's getting worse. And every day there's a liter of fluid dripping from his lungs. I go and visit him in the hospital, and I'm about to leave. And he says, Micah, I got a question for you. I said, yeah, what's the question? He said, Micah, I had this friend come pray for me, and he's a Mormon. And he goes, Micah, what is Mormonism? What do you think about all of that? And I realize now what he was trying to ask. He was trying to ask, Micah, what happens to my soul when I die and pass away from this earth? Micah, what's next for my life? And I sat next to him and I just said, hey, I, I can't explain everything about Mormonism, but one thing I could tell you is tell you about someone named Jesus Christ. Can I share with you about Jesus? He said, yeah, please do. I said, hey, Jesus is amazing in the fact that when you and I were born into this world, we were born into knowing sin. We were born knowing how to screw up and make mistakes and know sin. And the Bible says that because of that, we were actually born as enemies of Christ. But rather than Christ treating us like an enemy, Christ in his great love was sent by his one and only Father. He was sent to die on a cross for our sins. And while we were enemies, he actually showed us his love and demonstrated his love to draw near us so that whoever might believe in Jesus wouldn't perish but would know the forgiveness and love that comes from following Jesus so that one day you and I, as we believe in him, would not perish in our sin, but we would know the everlasting life that comes from following and surrendering our life to Jesus. And as I'm explaining this, he's in his hospital bed and just begins to break down to cry. And I said, hey, do you want to receive Christ as Lord of your life? And he responds saying, yes. Yes, that's what I want. So we got to pray together right there on his bedside. And after we got done praying, he said, Micah, that was the most glorious moment of my entire life. It was amazing to watch him come to know Christ and follow Jesus. And I thought for sure Christ would do the rest of the miracle and see him healed. But I got a phone call a couple days later that said my friend had passed away from his cancer. I thought for sure God was going to heal him. I thought for sure I'd watch a miracle. I prayed. I never gave up. I cried out day and night. But I didn't see a miracle. In turn, I saw him die. But what was crazy is all this prayer that went in to see a physical healing. God actually had a different plan and a different way of getting glory for himself. And it was seeing my friend experience the greatest miracle he could experience. No more pain. No more suffering, no more hurt, but a life forever with Jesus in heaven. The greatest miracle might not be a physical healing, but it's always the heart transformation that Christ can bring in your life. If you're watching today and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know Jesus knows you and wants to be in relationship with you. Sometimes you might pray and not see what you want to see. But God is always working and he's called us to a life of prayer and a life of never giving up. A call to pray and a call to never give up. Jesus leads in with those two things and then he shares the story that he wanted to share with his disciples. 
He shares the story of a persistent widow who was treated unfairly and unjustly. And widows back then were the classless people. They were outcasts of society. They were frowned upon. They were on the lowest of the totem pole. And this widow cries out to this judge day and night, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. She's crying out day and night. And the Bible describes this judge as someone who doesn't give a rip about God. He doesn't give a rip about her. He doesn't give a rip about anybody. But this woman won't stop letting up, saying, give me justice. Day and night, she's coming to this judge. Day and night, she's asking for justice. And finally, this judge gets so fed up with this woman who is so persistent for justice that this is what Jesus says in response. And he says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, this is the key point of the whole story right here. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus calls us to prayer and to never give up. And your big so what today for all of this, the big so what in all of this is this is when Jesus comes back a second time, here's your big so what, will he find faith in you? Will he find faith in you? Jesus just got done talking about how he's going to come back to the earth a second time. And when he comes, he wants to find you doing two things. A call to pray, a call to never give up. And when he comes, the question that's going to be asked is will he find faith in you? How do you know if you have faith in you? Well, let me ask you a question. If God were to answer every prayer that you've prayed, would it just change you or would it change people around you? Would it just change you or would it be bigger than you and start changing the world? If you want to know if you have faith inside of you, all you have to do is listen to how you pray. Because your prayers reveal what you believe about God. It's funny how so many of us can pray for a meal, but we don't pray for those who don't eat at all. It's funny to me how we pray for a safe van ride. There's nothing wrong with that. But we won't pray for people in the world who are suffering injustices and hurting. Our faith is revealed through what we pray. When was the last time you prayed impossible prayers? When was the last time you prayed prayers that would impact more than just you, but would impact the world around you? When was the last time you prayed God's heart for the lost, to seek and save the lost? When was the last time you prayed for the nations, that the nations would know and love Jesus? When was the last time you cried out to God to pray and to never give up? God's called us to pray for the impossible. You can ask anything in the name of Jesus. You can ask anything in his name and expect to see him show up and move. You want to know what one of the greatest rewards is in following Jesus? Is partnering with him in prayer and watching him answer your prayer. Watching God do the miracle. Watching God bring the breakthrough. I want to give you a challenge today. And my challenge is this for you. Is I want you to find a place every day to go and pray. I want you to find a place every day that you can go and pray. Every person watching can find a place every day to go and to pray.
I just want to break it down real quick what this might look like for you. For me, I have a whiteboard in my room. And on this whiteboard, I have a list of things. Number one is breakthroughs. I have a list of people who need a breakthrough. I have a friend who recently got diagnosed with breast cancer. I have a friend who's having a baby and who's had problems with complications. I'm praying every day for her. I have a neighbor who's in and out of the hospital all the time. I'm praying for her every day. I have a friend who's battling identity. I'm praying for him every day. I have students in my youth ministry that I used to youth pastor who've walked away from Christ. I'm praying for them every day. People who need a breakthrough so that when God answers the prayer, I can cross off the list and watch God do what he does best. I have a prayer of people who are lost and don't follow and believe in Jesus. I have a list of more than five names that I write down on a whiteboard and every day pray that God might bring revival into their heart, that they might be found and loved in by the kindness of Christ. Just recently, I was able to cross off two friends off that list that I can pray for every day. And then I pray for God's favor and blessing over other ministers who minister like me, more than just my ministry, but praying for other people. I have friends and people in this church. I pray for my pastors, Pastor Greg and Amber. I pray for my wife and my kids every day. I pray for people every day. Where is God calling you to seek him every day? Where is your prayer room? Watch as you partner with God to pray, to never give up. And then, whether he comes back a second time or you pass away from this life and spend eternity with him, he might say of you, I found faith in you. I saw faith in you. What would happen if you started praying the prayers God wanted? What would happen if you started praying them more than just God bless this meal? That's okay. What would you happen if you started praying with his heart? How might your marriage change? How might your kids change? How might your family dynamics change? How might our city change? How might our nation change? How might our world change? As a result of humble people turning from their wicked ways, praying, crying out, seeking the face of God. How might he heal our nation? How might he heal the racial inequality, the racial injustice? How might he heal marriages? How might he heal brokenness? God works through prayer. And we are called not to get in quarrels and fights and bickering. We are called to pray and seek the face of God. And to never give up. And those two things are powerful. We can be filled with anxiety or we can turn it over to prayer. We can be filled with worry or we can pray about all things. Christ calls us to pray without ceasing at all times and all occasions. And let me just end with this last and final thought. You are not saved by your prayer life. You are not saved by your grit. You are only saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed on the cross for your life. You are only saved by believing through faith and the free gift of salvation is given by grace for your life. Don't ever forget, it is not your works that save you, but it's the works of Jesus Christ that saves your life. And after he saves and rescues you, you are now set up for good works in advance for you to walk in. And could it be that those good works are found through a life of prayer and never giving up? If you're watching today, 
and you've never given your life to Christ and surrendered and follow him, or you're not even sure that if he comes back a second time, he would find faith in you, I want you to know you can put your faith in Jesus today. I'm going to pray, and when I get done praying, I want you to do one simple action step. I want you to email us at faith at zchurch.org, faith at zchurch.org, as the life Christ has for you is just beginning and sees through all the way till you meet him face to face. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that in a world of hurt, trauma, injustices, you name it, you're raising up a church for yourself that will stand up and learn how to pray and never give up. For those watching today who have not followed you, we're not even sure that they'd even be found with faith in their heart. Today, I pray faith would come and a new creation to come forth. I pray your love to come forth and minister to these people watching today. God, we love you. We thank you for the role we get to play in following you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm so proud for those who made that decision today. Please email us at faith at zchurch.org so we can connect with you. And would you join us one last time as we worship in closing today's service?